So born and raised in Buffalo, New York, John Resnick is the founding member, frontman, and guitarist for iconic band, The Goo Goo Dolls. He's kind of a legend in the world of music with 19 top 10 singles, including mega hits like Iris, which spent 12 months on the Billboard charts, Name, Black Balloon, and countless others. And like so many who turn to music at a young age as both a way to cope with discord and a form of expression, he has lived a life of extraordinary artistry and contribution, and along with that, a certain amount of darkness and struggle that for many years found him turning to alcohol as a way to get through each day until it all fell apart and he had to make a decision, one he keeps making every single day. Now sober, a devoted dad and husband, he's telling a really new story with his life and music and taking the giant global community of Goo Goo Dolls fans along for the journey. And as you'll hear in our conversation, as we spoke, he was heading into the studio to create something new, something that is truly representative not just of this moment in time, but also of how his own personal lens on life and music and creativity have evolved in really major and profound ways. So excited to share this conversation with you. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Good Life Project. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Good Life Project is sponsored by LinkedIn Ads. So as a business-to-business marketer, your needs are unique. B2B buying cycles are long and your customers face incredibly complex decisions. So isn't it time you had a marketing platform built specifically for you? LinkedIn Ads empowers marketers with solutions tailored for B2B. Imagine having direct access to a billion professionals, including 180 million senior executives and 10 million C-level leaders with LinkedIn's powerful targeting tools built for B2B, you can drive serious results. LinkedIn ads generated two to five times higher return on ad spend than other social platforms in the technology space. We've actually tapped the power of LinkedIn ads a number of times ourselves, and the campaigns have been really successful. If you're ready to revolutionize your B2B marketing, try LinkedIn ads with a $100 credit on your next campaign. Terms and conditions apply. Go to linkedin.com slash goodlifeproject to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash goodlifeproject, or just click the link in the show notes. Terms and conditions apply. It was fun reading um, that little bit that you shared uh, just uh, in info with us before that 
you've been geeking out a bit on Dalton Trumbo and um, yeah. sort of like the Blacklist era stuff. Yeah. Um, it, it was funny because I, when I read that, Dalton Trumbo's, his book, Johnny Got His Gun, yeah. I read, I think I read in high school. Yeah. And it blew my mind. It absolutely sort of like shattered me in these really weird ways and it's never left me. Yeah. No, it's really, it's, yeah, that's, that's, that's a heavy, heavy book. And the film too is strange. Yeah. To me, I was like, I saw the film and I'm like, why do I feel so uneasy? This is really yeah. strange. But, but I, um, my favorite thing about Dalton Trumbo is, um, just how beautifully he uses words like, you know, and I have, a, I have a book by him. It's out of print, but you can still find them online. Of course, it's called additional dialogue. Mm. And it's a, it's this big book of letters that he wrote to all kinds of people. And like, whenever I'm trying to find something, if I have to write like a quote or something for whatever, or somebody wants a blurb for this, I always go to that book and I'll just read a few of his letters because the way he uses language and, um, and you know, you steal little bits of what Trumbo said, you know? Yeah. It's very cool. Such an eloquent character. Yeah. You know? And, and I mean, what he went through, um, <laughs> you know, the, the whole, the blacklist era, we had, um, Ellen Harper on, on the podcast a, a little while back, Ben Harper's mom, but she's also this, mm -hmm kind of icon in the folk music space. And, and, um, her parents started out the Claremont folk music center, um, which became like, you know, this hub where everyone was hanging out. But, yeah. um, originally they started out in new England and her dad was a, a school teacher, but early in his life, he was very public about being a member of the communist party and it mm. caught up with him. And like Trumbo and so many of that day, he got blacklisted and he couldn't find a job teaching anywhere. So he started wow. working on old instruments and that was like the gateway into that whole world for them. Cause he just, he couldn't find work, you know, for a yeah. long time doing what he wanted to do. It's really a crazy window in our country. I think, I mean, it was, it's really, it was just so bizarre because it was such a, it was just like taking democracy and just smashing its face against the wall you know, just to gain some political power. And like, but I was so, I, I, he's, Trump is an inspiration to me because he took a bad situation and he, I mean, he did what he had to do to feed his kids and he, um, you know, he came out on top. And I, and what really amazed me too, because I, I'm a Kirk Douglas fan, <laughs> but I never, I, I have so much more respect for him because he was like, no, you could put Trumbo's name on the movie and on, um, Spartacus. Yeah. And uh, wow. I mean, can you imagine having to face all that persecution and still generate so many scripts and stories and just write these, this, these brilliant letters to people? People should read letters. There's got to be more great books. I'm sure there's a million great books of letters that people have collected. Yeah, there's... Um I actually want to say the name of the book is called the book of letters. Mm -hmm. It's written by um, Maria Popova who um, has this longstanding website called brain pickings. And she created this massive digest of all of these letters written by all these amazing writers over the years. Yeah. But I agree. I think there's something about letters 
that we've moved away from email, text, everything is sort of like short form, not deep. There's something also about, I'm curious how you feel about this, about the physical act of writing, not typing on a keyboard, but literally just sitting I, there. I never do that. Never. Oh, no kidding. So t- yeah. tell me more about that. I mean, I write emails and all that yeah. nonsense on the search for things on the internet. But when I'm writing songs or if I really, well, I make lists. I'm a big list maker and I can't do it in my phone because it's just not tangible. Like if I, I have a to-do list, you know, you know, I have to go buy salt for the driveway and, you know, make sure you get milk. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, finish the bridge to that song, you know, and just things like that. I need them on paper because I can, because I just fold up. It has to be yellow legal paper. Now I'm getting into how like neurotic I am, uh, which is kind of strange, but my yellow legal pad and, and pencil on the, on the paper, fold it, put it in my pocket. And I'm so much more efficient with that than I am with having a little bell ring on my phone. I just, it's not for me. I think it's, I think that has something to do with my age, you know, because, because I mean, I was around when you could buy a Mac book 150, I think it was called yeah. <laughs> the 150. I had one. <laughs> it was like, I mean, it's just, it's like, I don't, it almost looks like a, like a piece of steampunk art right, right. now, you know, compared to everything else. Yeah. It, it's pretty amazing. I mean, when you're, when you're working on um, songs too, is it, is it all um, by hand on paper as well? Yeah. 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 Gotta be, gotta be. And, you know, uh, big stacks of uh, books of quotations mm. and, and uh, thesauruses, rhyming dictionaries, you know, just, just stuff like that. I, there's this one online rhyming dictionary that I, that I love, but you know, just going, going to places like that. But yeah, it's gotta be on paper and every album, all the lyrics and all the potential lyrics and everything wind up in one of those art folios, mm. you know, those big fake leather yeah, yeah, yeah. things, you know, and it's just stuffed with scraps of paper and napkins and post-it notes and legal pads. Yeah. And that's the home for every album, you know, once it's done. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I feel like the output is just different, you know. And actually there's research that shows that when you're when especially in the when you're in a creative state, that what comes out when you write it, you know, physically by hand, it's different than if you type. It sort of activates your brain differently. You you go to different I agree. places. Well, because you're, you're creating, I mean, you have these built-in neural pathways between your brain, your thought, then the part of your brain that physically can make it come out your hand and put it down on a piece of paper. And, um, I think it does. I think I always find, I always find myself getting more inspiration and good stuff out of, out of physically doing it the old way. You know, I mean, once again, I'm so old. You know, I went, I went to Catholic school for nine years and, um, we took, um, penmanship classes. We had, we had to do penmanship. So it's like when, when I see somebody who has beautiful handwriting, I'm just blown away by it. College destroyed my handwriting. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, I, I kind of joke around about here, let me, let me sign that prescription for you and see if you can get anything for it. You know, because my handwriting, it looks like, 
It looks like a seismograph during an earthquake. Yeah, somehow I ended up in the same place as you. We're the same age, so yeah. I had like that same training, you know, and and uh, yeah. it all kind of went away over the years. Um, but I'm a writer also, and I've really been itching to get back to actually more of a physical process of creation. There was, um, I was talking to uh, actually two writers, uh, Suleika Jawad and um, Neil Gaiman. They both mm-hmm. write longhand and they use um, fountain pens. Wow. And one of the reasons is because if you stop writing with a fountain pen for too long, it starts to clog. Uh-huh. So it forces you to keep writing. Like you can't just pause. It's wow. like you have to channel whatever's in your head out onto the page or else it gets all gunky. Yeah. So and and because of that, that like that really gentle time pressure, it's almost like they feel like it changes the creative process and the output for them. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. I'll have to get a fountain. I'll have to get a fountain pen. Because <laughs> if I have my way, it'd take me nine years to make one album. <laughs> but it's interesting that you say that because this this new album that I'm working on, it's it's very loose. Mm. I don't I you know, I I'm locking out a recording studio for about five months. So I'm gonna actually do a lot of the writing in the studio. Oh no kidding. Yeah, and I think that that kind of um you know, I, I got the budget for the album and I'm like, let's blow it all, you know? And, um, so I don't want to be overly prepared when I go in because I'm interested to, to see what the interaction between the musicians is going to be like. And I'm just going to produce this myself, you know, or, uh, you know, I'll probably co-produce with couple other guys in the band and that but there are ways to make records there's different methodology one is you go in and you get your drums all perfect yeah. that's when you don't have a lot of money you got to go in and you do drums for like three days you got all the drums for your album but then it becomes this very sort of assembly line type thing you know and a lot of a lot of producers and engineers are very very they're addicted to editing now mm. Now, because everything has to be so precisely on the grid. Yeah, it's like everything. It's syncopation. Boom, 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 yeah, boom, boom, just, boom, 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 boom. Just, yeah. and I'm like, no, no. We'll start with a click, and we're gonna play like a band. Because I was, I was listening to a lot of live recordings of us, and then I was listening to our studio albums, and I was just like, the energy on the live stuff is way better. It's more aggressive, and it's, it's, um, it's just got more teeth. And it's, mm. and it's really visceral. So I want to try to capture what the band is actually performing. And I don't want a producer coming in and chopping it to bits and, you know, trying to like make it radio friendly. You know? Yeah. I'm just, I'm just not interested in it anymore. You know, it's interesting. I, I feel like everything has been so engineered these days and, you know, Every voice is auto-tuned. Every beat is is you know like dropped into a perfect syncopation. Yeah. That, um, but I feel like the as human beings, there's something in us that yearns for like we want to hear when you're slightly ahead of the beat and slightly behind. Yeah, the beat. we want to hear when somebody's voice is cracking or slightly off. Because like, oh, yeah. so th- there's a human being there, and and we want to hear when people are just going into their own vibe. And I feel like yeah. when that's edited out, which which it is a lot these days, it is. You know, very okay, much. so you get quote perfection, but you lose what music is about fundamentally. It loses its humanity. 
you know, and I'm guilty of it too. You know, I'm, I'm guilty of it too. We all fell victim to when everything went digital. We were like, wow, the sky's the limit. And then all of a sudden, the other thing, the other thing, just jumping back to doing the album, well, what I want to do with this album is limit the amount of tracks that we have. Mm. Because now it's not uncommon to have a digital audio session that's like 130 tracks. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, that's absurd. Right. I, re- I remember the old Tascam 4 track in the bedroom. It's like, yeah, there you was know, something and then you'd to that. Bounce it down and there, there was a vibe to that, you know? But, you know, kind of kind of limiting your track count, limiting your options. I, I just think that the digital production thing, it had to happen. And in, in the good side, the, the upside to it is it, it's like now you can get programs that are free or practically free. I mean, people are making records on Logic and GarageBand yeah. and Cubase or whatever. And um, you don't need the $20,000 Pro Tools rig with the, you know, six computers chained together and just, you know, it's, but I think that the technology is leading the creation of the art rather than the creation of the art pushing technology forward. I think it flipped when we went digital, you know, and it's like you almost get caught up in the tyranny of choice. It's just like, there's so many options. What do I do? So in a sort of a, I don't know what it would be, a contrary sort of way of looking at it. I'm just like, you know, yeah, you got three or four different compressors there. You got, it's all wonky studio stuff. But what I'm trying to do is just make it more vital. You know, I mean, I'm getting older and, and uh, I just, I just, you know, when you're a musician and you do this, I've been doing this since I was 19, right? And it's weird because I never said no to anything because you get this thought in your head, well, this could be the last time you ever get up on stage or this could be the last time you ever get up in front of the camera. So don't say no. This might be the last dollar you ever earned doing this. So I don't say no very much, but now I've started to a little bit, but not say no, but be a little more selective about what I want to do. And this whole anxiety about, you know, I had to change my metrics of what success is because it was always like, okay, did we hit the top 20 on the chart? That was one of those things. And I admit it, you know, I mean, cause I've had hits and I have not had hits and it's really nice to have hits. You know, it's like, it's really nice to have a hit song. It's fun, but it's interesting. But so we're going to, we're going to sort of limit it. And there's one example that I would like to tell everybody about. If you want to hear the most amazing song that is so out of time and so out of key. Go back and listen to the Rolling Stones Street Fight. Oh my God, I can't believe you said it because I was just going to (laughs) say, I mean, not necessarily that song, but I remember hearing some old live studio sessions from the Stones when they were putting songs Uh together. Oh yeah. And it was, I mean, massively collaborative. And I mean, at the end of the day, they were really working to create amazing stuff, but also they were less concerned about perfection. They were more concerned about like feel. It was all about the feel and the sway. And like humans, when they move, they sway, you know, and you're really feeling it. You see that, you know, in people who are having religious experiences or in flow at a 
concert or something, you know, it's just, and it's interesting to see that because you're trying to get into this. You're trying to tap into some sort of primal part of people, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that, that the idea of sway, because when you're, you know, so part of the aspiration is like, okay, so let's create something where we can try and bring that energy to everybody who listens to this. But at the same time, you're creating originally in the studio. And so it's almost like you and, and the musicians who you're in session with, you feeling that, like you feeling this way becomes oh, becomes yeah. the signal that, oh, like, I think we're getting it. I think we're, we're going there. Yeah. And in, what it's going to entail is, you know, me and Robbie, the bass player and, you know, a drummer just hanging out in the studio and just jamming and just making noise and trying to capture it on a, some kind of a recorder and, uh, and sort of building it from there, you know, because that's something that we used to do when we were kids. Cause it was all really very, very DIY. Like our whole scene was so, yeah. you know, and, um, you know, we would just play for hours. I would come in with an idea and we would play it and play it and play it. And then I would go, Oh, wait a second. I just thought of something. Let's go up to the minor here and then down there. And then, and then it starts to build. And then the drum patterns evolve and everything evolves. And then you actually learn the song, you know? And that feel is just, I think it's just, it sounds fresh again mm. because it is, I just believe that people are fatigued from technology. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm right there with you. Um, I, I believe that also. I'm, I'm really excited to see what comes out of those sessions. Five months is a, Me five too. Months is a luxurious <laughs> time also. I mean. It, that's a great <laughs> way to put I got a luxury problem. Yeah, you got to love that. Um, are, you gonna, yeah. are you recording to uh, tape or to um, digital? Because that's another really interesting creative constraint right there. Yeah. Well, what's interesting was we did that Christmas yeah. record, which I know it's a Christmas record and people are like, yeah, it's cheesy. And I'm like, duh, like Pat Monahan is a friend. And he said, it's supposed to be cheesy. It's a Christmas record, you know? And he's such a light and that guy is just, he's just his outlook on life and his ability to just make people feel great, you know? So I wanted to make that Christmas record. I, wa I wanted to do it, you know, and part of it is because I have a four-year-old daughter, you know, and it doesn't look cool to do it, but I don't care. And I wanted to, but, but see then, because I'm obsessed with vintage recording equipment and I'm obsessed with vintage microphones, like every musician. And so I've gotten this really bad habit and <laughs> collection of, um, I can basically roll up anywhere with, you know, half a dozen road cases and make a record anywhere I want, you know, and I've mixing, I've small mixing consoles and I chain them together. And, uh, lots of old compressors and microphones and reverbs and things like that. But anyway, um, I didn't want to be one of those guys, you know, because it's been so long yeah, since yeah. I recorded to tape. And when we recorded to tape and then mixed it, through a very, very, it's probably one of the rarest mixing consoles in the world. And it's at a studio called East West in Los Angeles. And it's a, a thing called a Trident A range. It's just this big purple thing. It's amazing. And it's just all this ancient technology that's just 
based on. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. And then we mixed it to tape. And it was just, but we simultaneously put the the two track onto the digital mm. as well as the analog. And I was just like, oh, I hate this. I'm one of those guys now. I, oh, the tape does sound better. It does sound better. And then we got the vinyl, the pressing of the vinyl and the CD. And we were going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, listening. I'm just like, the vinyl does sound better. I can't believe this. You know this. it's coming. Yeah, you know, like at some point, it's at some coming. point in the next couple of months, you're gonna open your back door and be like, "Hey, you kids, get out of my yard." <laughs> I know, man. I'm like, I know, I know. I'm, I, you know, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> some, I turn. I some every once in a while, I will catch myself being an old man. You know, like really being an old man. Like you know, I will get out of a chair and I'll hike my pants back up. You know, with my thumbs. You know, and I go on, I'm like, oh my God, you know, that's not a bad thing though. You know, um, I mean, it's because you've lived, you've had this interesting story, right. You know, and you're at a moment right now where it feels like I want to touch back down into that in a really good place, you know, and the journey that got you there brought you through some really turbulent times, Yeah, you know, the, um, I mean, I know you came up in Buffalo, um, Four older sisters from what I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just me and the dog. We're the only guys in the house and we're both sitting there going, what the hell is going on? You know, but yeah, it was, it was rowdy. I think, I mean, I'm, I, I still feel more comfortable with women than men, just like in general, because I grew up in that situation. And I, you know, I still talk to most of my sisters almost every day. You know, I mean, I'll talk to one of them almost every day, you know, because over the last 10 years, I mean, they've been such a big help to me, you know, like emotionally in that settling a lot of old business and uh, that I had didn't have a lot of recollection of, you know, I was lucky that I had people who were older than me to talk to me about those things. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's nice to be that close also. I know um, you lost your mom and your dad when you're sort of like in your mid-teens. Yeah, my dad when I was 15, my mom when I was 16. Yeah. Um, did they effectively sort of like become surrogate parents for you in a lot of ways? Or were you at an age where you're, you're kind of on your own at that point? I kind of was, I kind of, I was pretty disenchanted with the neighborhood that I grew up in. You know, I got a lot of crap from people. You know? mm. How so? Well, it was just, it was just very, it was very, it was just really strange. It was just strange. It was like my, my family, my sisters are incredibly strong women, always were, you know, and they still are now. And, uh, you know, we weren't part of the neighborhood. Like we weren't part of that culture anymore. You know, my sister had an African-American boyfriend, you know, and in 1980, one that was oh my god that's crazy you know so we got a lot of crap from people about that and it's just like that's so weird but it did it, it was weird and like you know so my life was made a little difficult by some of the neighborhood thugs <laughs> and uh i was anxious to get out of there it was like it was october and um it's just really rainy, cold Buffalo fall, you know? And then I just remember feel like 
feeling like I couldn't get warm when my mom died. No matter how many blankets I put on myself, I couldn't get warm. But then I said, no, man, you, you have no choice. You have to move on. I mean, I was 16. I was like, what am I going to do? So my sisters helped me out and I got my own place. And um, I didn't have a lot of money. And I did, I did some things that I'm not exactly proud of, you know, but uh, now it's legal in 35 states. <laughs> you know? They put kids like me out of business. But, um, you know, it was an adventure. And I moved into this, the neighborhood near the, one of the universities in Buffalo. I just started meeting all these characters, you know, they, they were older than me. And I met them and I had a small group of musician friends, you know, and we would just play and play and play. And we we're constantly, it was very incestuous. Everybody was sort of, he played with him that night and we all went to this way. And it was just, you know, we were all experimenting with different kinds of music and stuff. None of them went to the school that I went to. I went to a vocational training school to be a plumber. Mm. And, um, I really should have went to art school, but I didn't. And, um, and I'm happy that I got my diploma in plumbing. I, I really am. I'm very proud of that. It's an amazing, prof- I, could, I, I would have to go back to school from the beginning again. But just the fact that I can, I can fix little things around the house is, is awesome to me. And I yeah. think it's therapeutic. It helps, helps you stay grounded. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting also, right? Because- I think a lot of people look at plumbing as like, well, it's a particular profession that does a particular type of thing, but it's actually, it's, it's a trade. It's a craft. It is a true, I mean, especially yes. I, I remember spending summers and like building houses and renovating and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And um, it is a true, I mean, some of the plumbers who were on location with, they were true artists. Oh yeah. It would blow my mind. It's like complex problem solving. And when you look at the creation, like if you pulled what they created out of a house or a structure and just put it in a gallery somewhere. Oh my God. People would be like, that is insanely cool. Yes. It's very cool. And you know, what's beautiful about it. It's gravity. It's all just gravity. And it's like, that amazes me. Like, yes, of course, there's a ton of technology involved now and everything, everything's computerized in that. But a basic plumbing system is just based on gravity and pressure. And it's beautiful in its simplicity. Uh, but the mathematics that you have to sit and study is crazy. I mean, you can't be stupid and be a plumber. That's, you know. Yeah, it's amazing. And, and it is amazing. And, and the, But, you know, our, our society went through this, like, you know, this 30 or 40 year period where it was just like, oh, you got to go to college, got to go to college, got to go to college. And a lot of my friends who wound up in the building trades have done better than people who you know, went and got master's degrees. No offense to anybody who wants to go to college, but I think, I think that the, the building trades, and I know that guy, Mike Rowe, the dirty jobs yeah. guy, he's very into that, you know, and, and I agree with them because it's a way for someone with a high school diploma and, so, and some training and some smarts to get into an upper middle-class position. And that's, that's not easy these days, you know? Yeah, I mean, we we have gone, we've definitely gone through this window where knowledge work was sort of like elevated to say like, well, the only legitimate work is knowledge work. And the only reason somebody wouldn't be doing that is because they don't have it in them. Yeah. So they have to default to these other things. It's like, no, actually, if you read this book, um, you'd probably love it. It's called Shop Class as Soul Craft. 
<laughs> this <laughs> guy who was awesome. like, he, I think he went to MIT from what I remember. He was, you know, doing a think tank type of thing. And he's like, this isn't doing it for me. He ends up going to some small town. I think it was New Hampshire or something like that. Finds this grizzled old guy who could listen to vintage motorcycles and just by listening, know exactly what was wrong with them and wow. starts to study and like becomes his, his student effectively. Mm-hmm. And then just gives up this whole complex high flying knowledge, you know, type of world to just hunker down and work on these old bikes. And it's like the happiest person on the planet, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I think we definitely, we devalue that in a way, but when we do, I think we really, we not only do we label people as not good enough when they're extraordinary people, but also we stop ourselves from going back to that physical interaction and physical mm-hmm. creation space that I think so many of us miss. I, I agree. I mean, there is so much creative power that goes into designing a home, building a home, you know, putting a plumbing system into a building, just, you know, a solar panel. I mean, you know, putting solar panels up, you know, and uh, just, it's amazing because they're beautiful pieces of art at some point stage of its creation it's on a drawing table and it's beautiful i i studied mechanical drawing and you know drafting and that kind of thing and uh it's beautiful just getting having the tools to get the perspective on things correctly and following a formula for this many inches equals <laughs> it's just yeah. it's it's crazy and you have to do doing cutaway views of like the inside of a wall and like, and uh, it was very technical drawing. It's just, it's, it's exciting. Like when I, I just remember this one drawing that we had of an oil refinery and it was a cutaway view and just staring at it and just being blown away. Like that took so much creativity. I mean, maybe from a different part of the brain, but as much creativity, you know, as writing, you know, a symphony yeah, or whatever. I mean, and, and that's what, what I was thinking as you're just sharing that is, you know, I wonder if you have any sense that the fact that you actually went and, and you study plumbing and, and you study mechanical drawing has any influence in the way that you view the process, the structure, the, the expressive side of, of music, of songwriting, of putting together yeah. Things and vice versa. Like, does the songwriting, does the musicality actually then affect the way you think about form and structure and sort of like physical spaces? Yeah. I mean, it's all interrelated. In my mind, I, I work I'm off on tangents all the time, which is a bit of a handicap. But yeah, you know, I mean, growing up and learning those skills, you know, it definitely it it, it has an influence in a way because I allow myself to, you know, get on my artist chair, you know, and like play and wait for the muse and you know, and, and it's great when she comes, but she doesn't always come, you know, then you got to get down and, and, and you got to roll up your sleeves and start, start swinging with a hammer. And there are different points. I mean, I did, I did a song for a, a, a Disney movie it was like 20 years ago already. It was a movie called Treasure Planet. I wrote two songs for the film. So I learned, I, I, they brought me into the project when it was still like in uh, pencil sketches. Mm. And they started talking about these characters. This is a huge team of people, dozens of people. 
And I've never seen people work so harmoniously in my life, you know? And there's a certain period of time where you don't judge, don't judge. Let it all just come out. Dare to yeah. suck. Dare to suck. You know, it's gotta like, go there. you got to go there. But at some point in time, it's like, you got to, you know, somebody's got to like tap you on the shoulder and wake you up. And then you, and then you got to, you know, you got to start tightening screws and actually crafting something. So it's like, you have this sort of nebulous artistic process going on in your brain. And then eventually to make it come to fruition, you have to apply some sort of skill and discipline to it. Yeah, no, that makes total sense to me. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Good Life Project is sponsored by LinkedIn Ads. So as a business-to-business marketer, your needs are unique. B2B buying cycles are long and your customers face incredibly complex decisions. So isn't it time you had a marketing platform built specifically for you? LinkedIn Ads empowers marketers with solutions tailored for B2B. Imagine having direct access to a billion professionals, including 180 million senior executives and 10 million C-level leaders with LinkedIn's powerful targeting tools built for B2B, you can drive serious results. LinkedIn ads generated two to five times higher return on ad spend than other social platforms in the technology space. We've actually tapped the power of LinkedIn ads a number of times ourselves, and the campaigns have been really successful. If you're ready to revolutionize your B2B marketing, try LinkedIn ads with a $100 credit on your next campaign. Terms and conditions apply. Go to linkedin.com slash goodlifeproject to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash goodlifeproject, or just click the link in the show notes. Terms and conditions apply. 
you know, it's it's interesting also that part of what you become known for is um, really experimenting with alternative tunings in your work. You know, yeah. guitar is your, your your primary jam, and it sounds like from the earliest days, you know, for you, which kind of ties into this, it's sort of like, okay, so let me think differently even about this one thing. You know, okay, so I have a yeah. guitar in my hands. I have this one instrument, and there's a standard way that 99.9% of people play it, but something uh-huh. in your brain is saying, but that's not necessarily the constraints that I feel I have. And let me just completely mess around with them. Yeah. It's fun. <laughs> it really is fun. Do you play the guitar? I do. Yeah. Yeah. It's just you, one night. I don't, I don't know if you, what you indulge in, but you know, just indulge in a little of something that you enjoy and, uh, and then just sit on your sofa and just, just start unwinding and winding strings up and you'll break one and, but, and just strum and see what, see what feels good at that moment. And it's almost like you got to relearn how to play the instrument, every tuning you use. Um, there's some musical term for it, but there's, uh, I thought it, you know, I did it out of necessity because I was in a three piece band and I always hated when a guitar player would go into a solo or something like that. And then everything dropped out yeah. except the bass and the drums. And I'm like, you know, and when you go in the studio, you play the rhythm guitar behind it and then you put the solo on top. But, but I didn't really, I didn't want to really do that either, but I just started Things. It's, it was basically there to fill space hmm. so that I could create these droning kind of things that would go through the whole song. And that's something that I, I, I really got from Bob Mould, you know, from Who's Could Do. Yeah. And I thought, I'm like, man, listen to that. And you create these overtones and harmonics. It's just insane. Like what, am I hearing that? Is that, is that what's really going on there? And even... Bob Mould, I love his guitar playing. He's such an underrated guitar player. But man, he creates this sonic landscape. And it's jagged on the edges, but there's so much beauty. Like if you just listen a little deeper, there's so much harmonic complexity and beauty in what he's doing. Yeah, and that's like, it It almost sounds like there's more than one person playing sometimes. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, which I guess is part of what you're talking about. Like when you got a power trio and you, you know, the one guitar drops into a lead, if yeah. there isn't something else to like, to give it some spaciousness, you know, like it's yeah. sort of like, okay, so everything kind of, it gets thin. Yeah. But, but then you look at guys like, you know, like people have been doing this for a long time, like Robert Johnson, right? Uh-huh. Um, Zepp. <laughs> yeah. Oh, everybody. Well, when I learned that, right. <laughs> when I learned about Joni Mitchell and Jimmy Page and, you know, Robert Johnson and, you know, all these people, uh, Stephen Stills, another yeah. guy, I felt vindicated <laughs> because I felt like I was cheating, you know? Yeah. And you're like, uh, no, but I was the, just the trying best to of fill the best space. I've done this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, that's really cool. And so necessity is the mother of invention. And um, I only had one guitar. I couldn't afford another one. So what I did was I was, I was hanging out in a music store. And I saw banjo tuners hmm. and uh, a thing called a hip shot. Right? This is so wonky. Nobody's going to care. But I put banjo tuners 
and a hip shot on my guitar. So I could lower the E string to a D. I could tune the B string up to a C and tune the E string up to an F sharp. So I could do all these other tunings while I was playing. I could just wham and then drop it down to a D and drone that out and play a little solo on the top, you know, but things like that, you know? Yeah. Which simultaneously makes for a, an amazing sonic experience and drives anyone who wants to try and figure out how to play what you're playing completely bad at you. Yeah, I know. You know what's amazing <laughs> to me? And I, I don't do this a lot, but occasionally um, someone will send me a video of like a 12 year old girl playing one of my songs yeah. in a standard tuning better than I can play it. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, I got to get a hold of this kid. I got to, she's got to show me how to play the song the right way. Yeah. yeah that's amazing. Um, you build on that. You start to build with Robbie. I mean, Goo Goo Dolls sounds like starts out really more of like a punk vibe. Eventually you know, it evolves to your sound, becomes more melodic. Interesting also that, you know, in the beginning, I've heard you share how Robbie was really more of the front man. And it took yeah. a number of years for you to sort of, you know, like, write more and then also like be more front and center. And I've also heard you describe yourself as kind of like quieter, more like in a personal and a private setting, you know, like yeah, not that person, but there's something that happens to you when you get on stage where when you oh, yeah. step out there, it's almost like you're stepping into a different persona. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Because, you know, there's a lot of fear still. I've been doing this for 30 years or whatever. And, and uh, I stand on the side of that stage and I'm like, you know, Robbie is a natural born entertainer. He's, he's the guy that comes out and goes, ta-da. And, you know, I have to force myself to try and keep up with that because sometimes I just want to play my guitar and sing. And, but then I'm like, you know, I also truly, truly believe in the work ethic of what I'm doing. And I think growing up in Buffalo had a lot to do that. And early on, you know, I had my mentors that were from the local music business yeah. and, um, and them saying to me, look, at the time it was like, somebody spends 10 bucks to come and see you. You better give them a show kid. And it's like, yeah, I get it. I get it. You know? And, and, you know, I, I always got sort of put off by, I'm not naming names, you know, bands that I've been on tour with and, uh, that come and sitting at a bar with, with one of them and just, you know, I'm just whining about having to play this massive multi Grammy winning 10 million album sales song that bought you a house in the Hollywood Hills. And you're going to bitch about playing that. You know? That's the no. Buffalo in you. <laughs> I know it is. Right? You can only be so pretentious when you're from <laughs> Buffalo. But it just, it just, it struck me as being like, wow, you ungrateful son of a bitch. <laughs> like, like, you know, and like I get, sometimes I get, I get the little bit of a sigh before I play Iris, just like, fuck, it's the only song anybody knows. And then, and then I'm like, shut up, quit feeling sorry for yourself. That's what they paid to see. Go give it to them, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and that's the way it should be. It's a contract. It's like an unwritten contract between you and your audience. And I, it's interesting because Robbie's very, very comfortable on stage. 
and I like being on stage and I can, I can, I can switch into that personality or that persona, whatever. Yeah. But as soon as, as soon as I walk off the stage, it's like this, like, it's like somebody letting the air out of a balloon, (laughs) you know, and, and I don't, I don't party anymore. And it's, and you know, you know, so I'm, so I'm drinking my club soda and I call home, you know, the real world awaits, you know? Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it's the, it's sort of like the sweet spot of, you know, you're brought up and, you know, like a sort of like in, in a town that values hard work, that's kind of hard scrabble in mm-hmm. a blue collar environment. And, but also, you know, having just acquired a sensibility, having a, like more towards the introverted side of the, the, the spectrum. I know that sort of, it was eye opening to me when a friend of mine actually sort of explained, Hey, you know, the, the difference between extroverts and introverts isn't that, you know, like one is a raging party animal and the other one isn't. It's both are social and are not, are, you know, an introvert is not an antisocial person. It's just Mm-mm. being around large numbers of people. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be really energizing in the moment, but when you're done, you're empty. Yeah. Whereas an extrovert yes. Yes. goes to that exact same experience to fill up. Yeah. Kind of weird. Yeah. You know, it's, it's sort of like one of the things that I always thought about was, you know, because we came up playing in front of like five people getting in a filthy van, you know, and just traveling around. We did that for almost 10 years before we got a break. And then all of a sudden you get this quote unquote hit and you start selling records. And then all of a sudden, you know, the world is changing around you and it's, it's terrifying. Yeah. Especially if you're a shy ish person, cause I can be a very shy ish person to people. And, and I, I don't get that close to too many people that started more. It, it kicked into a higher gear after we had gotten like a, a couple of hit songs yeah. because I, I started to feel like, well, where, where were all these pretty girls before I had a hit song? Where's what? Wait a minute. Who are all these people that all of a sudden are inviting me to parties and stuff? I have no idea who these people are, whatever. So I declined every invitation and I, you know, stuck with who I knew, kind of circled the wagons and, you know, and that was at the point I was like, and and this is, I, I really, honest to God, man, honest to God, I feel like after you write your first hit song, everyone around you is applauding. Oh my God, that's amazing. That's amazing. It's as if you won the lottery and everyone is going, oh my God, John, you won the lottery. Do it again. And I'm like, Right, The pressure of that is insane. Well, that's where the roots, aside from the genetic predisposition, that's where the roots of my own addiction sort of started in fear, man. Just at that point, I was terrified because I didn't know who to trust because nobody tells you the truth when you're really successful in that situation. You hang on to the people who say, John, yeah, you look fat in those pants. <laughs> you know, I'm here like whatever, you know, because you, so many people wind up with these, I don't know what you call them. What's a good word? Just like yes men around them. And some people thrive on it because they're narcissists, you know? Although, I mean, I guess I'm a narcissist too, because, or somewhat of a narcissist because 
I want people to love my music. I, I have no shame about that. I'm not going to completely flip who I am. You know, I stopped playing punk rock music because I didn't feel it anymore because I was a 24-year-old man at that point, 25-year-old man. And to me, punk rock is kid music. It's, it's what you do, you know? It's like uh, Joe Strummer said, you know, turning rebellion into yep. money, you know? And it's like, and Bob Mould, there's a great Bob Mould quote. They asked him, is punk dead? Well, I hate that question, you know? It's not dead as long as there's a, a 13-year-old boy yeah, with the, you know, wearing a pair of chucks. Totally, you got a funny haircut, and it's like. But Bob Mould said, Bob Mould said, no, punk's not dead. You can buy it at Kmart. <laughs> I was like, yeah, man, that was great. There suddenly became well, when punk rock became arena rock, and then ultimately stadium rock. You know, it was very formulaic. I think a lot of the, a lot of it is very formulaic. Um, and it's, it's pop music. I'm not shit talking any band. No, no, because, I totally get like, it. I love, I love all that stuff. You know? Right. But, but eventually, you know, I feel like anything that lasts long enough that starts as counterculture becomes the culture. It does. And that was a weird thing. Like when there was a guy named Kevin Weatherly who used to run K-Rock in Los Angeles. And that was the most powerful radio station in the universe. You, you know, you got a song played on K-Rock that became your single and you went and made the video and you kissed everyone's ass you had to. And the trajectory was very straight. Then you started getting ads after K-Rock added you, everybody was going to add you. And that radio game was how I defined my success for a lot of years. You know, did I crack the top 20 on it? Yeah. what did we debut at? What is it? It's just, it's nerve wracking. And now because radio is so consolidated and the, the, the programming of radio. I mean, it's these like, yeah, it's a different beast. That's I mean, a different beast. It's, it's, like algori it's algorithm based. Rather yeah. Than humor. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, I don't, I mean, I know that my songs will always get played, you know, on the, I, I don't, it's not an oldies dish, but like, you know, like hot, like AC radio or hotty, whatever. I'm in recurrent rotation, a lot of places. And I hear one of my songs every single day, you know, I'll be in the supermarket or the Home Depot or wherever I am and I'll, I'll hear one and then I kind of cringe a little and then I want, <laughs> I'm just like, Hey, Hey, you're lucky. Okay. You're right. I am lucky. And, um, but you know, it, it does, it becomes the mainstream at some point. And a lot of times the people, especially, you know, writers and, you know, people who are in, but out. They, they shit on the bands. People feel like they have the right to shit on you if you have a little success, you know? And they think like you automatically did something wrong and different to get that way. And I remember being that way myself because I saw you too when I was 14 or 15. I saw them play at a theater and uh, I was just like, man, these guys are amazing. And then it was like, what? Wait a minute, hold on. Now they're on the radio. Now they're uh, now they're playing at the arena. What what the hell's going on? Screw those guys. They sold out, you know. And it's so easy to dismiss that. But you know, a lot of times artists are thrust into those positions through no fault of their own, other than creating something that other people found appealing. You know. Yeah, and I mean, once you land there, it's. <laughs> I think some people are are you know, 
they're equipped to handle it. But it, it's almost like it, it feels like that is the rarer person, especially if it happens earlier in life. Remember, we had, we had um, Frampton on a little, a little bit back. And he was sharing how when Frampton comes alive, comes out, and then he's on the cover of Rolling Stone, that classic mm-hmm. Scavulo shot, like topless. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, oh my, you're like, this is the biggest thing ever. And behind the scenes, he's kind of melting down because mm-hmm. he's now become something he didn't want to be. And now he's got everyone telling him, this is what you got to keep being. And this yeah. is what your next album has to be. And uh-huh. oh, and you have to now try and repeat what you just did, which was like make the biggest <laughs> selling live album in history. Yeah. And you're, you know, he's in his 20s. And it's like, I mean, you know, that's I got to imagine yeah. anyone who has, you know, like you guys eventually, you're gigging around for a long time, but then like mid 90s hit and you've got these series of things where you got huge things. And it's almost like, how does any human being who's sentient and who's feeling and who's empathic deal with that? You know, and still come out like without going through some sort of trough of sorrow or window of darkness. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, all of a sudden, everything that I wanted, I had. And I was terrified, miserable, you know. Uh, you know, so they say, go to therapy, go to therapy. So I go to therapy. And then they're like, here, take these, you'll feel better. So you take those. And you kind of feel better. And then it just becomes this slippery slope of, well, I can't sleep. Well, take these. And then then you don't have those pills anymore. And you can't sleep. So you go and get those pills. And you start drinking more. And, you know, it's very strange. Because the question that I always asked myself was, well, who, who's going to be here when, when all the fun stops? Who's going to be here at the party when everybody else is left and they're actually going to help me clean up. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that, that was tough. And I had to, I had, I, I mean, you know, I, I, I almost lost everyone in my life and, you know, damn near killed myself, <laughs> you know, and it was, and it's such a cliched story, but it was, it's the, the fact that people, people feel like they own a little piece of you or they know, something about you it's like yeah it's cool it's it's nice to be appreciated but but you don't know me you know and uh you know people talk all kinds of smack all the time it's just easy to talk smack it's so easy to just make yourself feel better just by i i mean i've done it we've all done it Ah, screw that guy. I could have done that better. You know, it's yeah. But but I think everyone's been through their version of that. But a lot of people, yeah. when it happens, it's not public. Mm-hmm. You know, when it happens, there's not you know there's not the face that you have to then wear to a mass number of people and a brand you have to represent and these these expectations you have to meet. And then, you know, my sense is, it's different. You know, and it's mm-hmm. harder when you fall. Um, and at the same time, it's not to say that. There's not a stunning gratitude and appreciation for everything that comes along with it. Absolutely. You know, yes. Like you can feel that coming from you. And at the same time, you know, I know you've, you've, you've shared very openly about you effectively reaching this moment where you dropped to your knees. I think it was 2014 ish. And you're like, all right, so this is either going to kill me pretty soon or I need to finally figure this out. Yeah. You know, 
what I realized, I mean, cause I, at that point, I mean, I was at that point, like around 2014, I've been trying to get sober for, you know, 10 years and I get a month, three weeks, two days, a couple hours, you know, and it just kept going and going and, you know, um, and then finally I had to, I had to, I mean, I found myself in such a dangerous effed up situation in a blackout and waking up from a blackout in a really weird situation is <laughs> it's okay. You'll just <laughs> like my situation, I think is hysterically funny in retrospect where I woke up and, from my blackout, but, and what was going on. And, <laughs> but, but, um, it terrified me. It terrified me. I'm like, this shit's getting dangerous. This is getting dangerous, dude. You know, and my wife was, was like ready to bail, you know? And she was like, I don't want to leave you because I love you. I can't take this anymore. You know? And she said the sweetest thing to me when I had six years, she, she gave me my coin for six years. And, uh, she said, you haven't made me cry in six years. And I was just like, Oh, wow. And that's when you realize where you belong, when you're home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was a nice moment. Yeah. Can't even imagine. Uh. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I mean, along the way also, you know, six years in, um, almost seven now, I guess for you at this point. And, uh, but one day at a time and still, right. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, married your dad now, Yeah, you know, yeah. and I got to imagine that, that, um, the decision, like that decision and then being a dad, um, has given you a different perspective on everything. Um, I, I think it has. You know, it, I mean, it, 
it definitely, it softens your, your heart and makes you worry less about you, you know, the way you are perceived by other people because you have this tiny little genius who just adores you. Do you have daughters? I have a daughter, yeah. So I'm, I'm, like, I'm looking oh. at your face and, I, and I'm just like, I know that feeling. Yeah. I know that smile. That's like full body. Yeah. And like, uh, you know, it's got eyes full of tears and a Hot Wheels car with a wheel that fell off. And like, you just feel so like so powerful when you go, come here, honey, let me fix that for you. Pop the little wheel back on. They just think you're the greatest guy in the world, man. You know, I, mean, I love that. I'm going to miss that. But, you know, she's my silver lining from the pandemic, you know, because I've watched her grow. I was literally away from her for half her life, you know, and uh, to get to spend this much time with her. And by the way, I, I, once again, I don't know how this happened, but I wound up living in a house with five women again. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh my God, I need some testosterone. I need to go it's like, your destiny. shoot a gun or something. You can't it, fight it. It's your destiny. I can't fight it, and I, but I love it. I love them. I love, I love that my daughter has a tribe of strong, smart women around her including my sisters and, um, and, and Nona lives here. Grandma lives here and her two cousins live here and, you know, and, and, uh, with us and, and she's learning from them, you know? And, and I love that. I love that, you know, but I try to balance it out, throwing her around, wrestling with her, you know, doing that whole thing. She's such a girl. God, <laughs> No, and I was with a little boy and her uh, last weekend and they had like this ski resort, but they had an indoor pool and the whole thing. So we took him in the pool and then about 15 minutes into like letting the kids jump into the pool. And then I grab them, put them back up and they jump back in. This little boy takes a swing at me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then he asked me why I had long hair, like a woman. And I was like, what is going on here, kid? He's like, he's, you know, it's, it's like, he wants some, He's like challenging me <laughs> and I'm just like, I love you, Lily. <laughs> Cause she just loves me, man. There's no, no, no challenging <laughs> the dominance, you know? I mean, she'll manipulate the hell out of me, but you know, you, you get really good at, at sort of bobbing and weaving the manipulation, you know, with girls. I enjoy it. And I'm just like, so what if I spoil her a little bit? Yeah. yeah. When you think about, I mean, you know, over the last year, just the time that you may want to have with her. Um, and then you think about, you know, okay, so as we emerge from whatever this window is, you know, you, you start to head back into the studio and eventually back on the road for certain windows of time. Do you have any sense that you'll make decisions differently based on just this last year or so that you've had? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's very strange. It was like, I, I mean, I grew up insanely poor. Like, you know, my parents worked, but we always had to have food stamps and sometimes a little help from the pantry. And they, they were good people. They were good people, but they were flawed, you know, like, like all of us. They were flawed, maybe more deeply than some, but 
Um, I will do everything in my power to make sure that I'm strong and healthy for that girl because I started so late and I don't ever want her to feel the things that I felt when I became completely untethered and left to my own devices. <laughs> as far as the touring situation goes, yeah, she's going to be coming with me a lot more. A, because she loves it. And B, you know, traveling is best education, right? Maybe not necessarily with a rock band, but I mean, you know, it's not like we're having wild parties on the bus anymore. And, you know, she loves it. And I love being with her because she's totally honest. She doesn't know how to lie yet. Although she's learning. She's learning, you know, like just to cover her ass. She, she'll know, <laughs> you know, but I just adore her in, in every way. And just, I see myself in her sometimes. So like personality, I'm like, really? Like, is this genetic? I'm like, Jesus. And I'm running down my list of character defects. And I'm like, oh, God, spare her that one. <laughs> you know? Please like, don't like let that happen to right. her. Every parent has like those lists like, ooh, that was a good one. Ooh, not that one. <laughs> not that one, no. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah. You That's know. beautiful. Um, feels like a good place for us to come full circle in our conversation as well. So yeah. hanging out here in this container of Good Life Project, if I offer up the phrase to live a good life, what comes up? <sighs> to have the courage to be honest with yourself and not worry about the outcome. You know? I mean, I could elaborate a little more, <laughs> but I don't want to. I'll just screw it up, you know, like, but we got this thing hanging on the wall in the kitchen. This is just a big poster. It's made out of newspaper. And it says work hard and be nice to people. Generally, it's not bad. It's not a bad sort of first step to leading a good life. You know, I mean, there's so much, I mean, you've been, in this for so long and like you're studying like you're a student of having a good life what is that like it's amazing yeah it's i mean it's really it's kind of breathtaking to be in this project for years now to have mm -hmm. you had the opportunity to speak to so many different people from so many walks of life people who you know are a week away from you know like hand to mouth and people who are at the top of industry, art, science, mm -hmm. politics, and to see the shared humanity, to see sort of like the shared values when they really right. just get down to it, mm -hmm. you know, it's amazing, you know. It's, it's incredible because, I mean, to me that you do this, but, I, you know, I have to ask you the question, is your life better? What was the best takeaway from anyone? Like you just, you had a paradigm shift when someone said something to you in an interview. Um, I mean, there must be hundreds of yeah, them. Yeah, there are. It's really hard to isolate one, but you know, there are moments that have stayed with me that either because it was something deeply personal to me that somebody gave language to, mm -hmm. or just because it was a reminder that there, but for God's grace go I, mm. or it was a reframe on what success was. So like when I, producer Lindsay, who, you know, you, you've met, 
r- reminds me that uh, um, the person I tend to refer to the most in conversation is Milton Glaser, who was on the show years ago and passed away last year. And for so many different reasons, for the choices he he made, he's this iconic designer, designed the I Heart NY logo and that mm. classic Dylan poster with the rainbow hair, you know. Yeah. Um, his his work has touched so many different people, and he kept designing and working, um, really like right up until the very end when he was ninety one. Um, so there were a lot of lessons in his life and the choices, the things that he said no to. You know, he showed up and. He kept a small but hyper prolific studio in New York City. He didn't start a massive agency, which he could have. He said no to all of these things that would have taken him away from the work. He was very clear on the work that filled him up. And he said no to what a lot of people would have been so tempted to say yes to. Sure. In the name of being able to do the work and to be able to, to spend time with people. He just couldn't get enough of his, you know, uh, wife being one of those people. And um, and he said something to me also, which resonated, which was he knew why he was here from the time he was six years old. And he said, I, <sighs> I, I make things that move people. And that was very personal to me because that's not everybody. But when he said that, I was like, my DNA started vibrating. Because <laughs> I was like, <laughs> that's, that's, that's amazing. Me. That's me. Really? You know, and what's interesting is like, I, I sense some of that in you too. You know, I sense a lot of that in you because there's, there's like a, a maker instinct in you that crosses, whether it's drawing, whether it's plumbing, whether it's music, like there's something that is a, like a fierce creative impulse and something where you do it in part for yourself, but also because when it moves people, it adds to sort of like the, the experience of it. Yeah. Yeah, no, it does. It really, truly does. That's a beautiful story, by the way. It's a really beautiful story. I mean, you know, I've been reflecting a lot about what what is going on in our society and the the frustration and the violence and the, I mean, where we are at. I mean, we were a a hair's breadth away from a coup (laughs) d'etat. And I'm not getting political. I'm not saying anything right or left. But at the same time, it's like, what are the forces that are deeply behind this this discontent? You know, are we ever going to be back to? I don't know. You know, I'm like, and I'm I'm on the fence. I I I blow with the wind now. You know, uh, to see what to see what's happening. But you know, I just feel like somehow. A lot of people in this country, and I think a lot of it is to do with the concentration of wealth in such very few hands and people not being able to be part of trade unions, labor unions, whatever. I feel like people are losing their sense of purpose because I truly believe that work gives your life purpose, you know, and sometimes you may not have your dream job and then you have to find the purpose in your work. You know, I mean, I had a lot of, I mean, I used to fry peanuts <laughs> in, a, in a vat of oil for a living, you know, and I had to try to find the purpose in it. You know, there just seems to be a rush amongst certain people to just make humans obsolete. 
It's just like, just because we can do it technologically and we're that advanced, I think technology has outpaced human evolution. I mean, it's just, how are we going to deal with it? Yeah. I think we're on the precipice of a lot of really tough issues right now. Tough issues. You think we're going to be okay? I do. I'm oddly hopeful. Yeah. <laughs> I'm at, you know, like at the end of the day, you know, like I'm a New York Jew who is, is, is not necessarily <laughs> wired for optimism, like with all things. It's, you know, like, well, I'm, I'm a Polish like, Catholic from Buffalo and I'm the right, same so you way. you kind of get it, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. But, but there is something that about me where I'm kind of like, you know what, I'm hopeful because all the things that are separating us and all the things that are challenging us right now approached differently and used differently mm-hmm. can become tools for rehumanizing, tools for advancement, tools for growth, mm-hmm. um, tools for connection. So it's like, it's all there mm-hmm. and it's all available to us. And one of my fascinations is like, what switches do we need to flip for us to start to use them, not for division and replacement, but for connection and elevation? Wow. You got to write that down, bro. <laughs> we got <laughs> it really, on tape, so it's all Yeah, good. <laughs> man. You got to write that down. That was... Whew. Anyway. anyway I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk. Uh, my pleasure, I'm man. really glad. Thank you so much, man. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks also to our fantastic sponsors who help make this show possible. You can check them out in the links we have included in today's show notes. And while you're at it, if you've ever asked yourself, what should I do with my life? We have created a really cool online assessment that will help you discover the source code for the work that you're here to do. You can find it at sparkatype.com. That's S P A R K E. T-Y-P-E.com or just click the link in the show notes. And of course, if you haven't already done so, be sure to click on the subscribe button in your listening app so you never miss an episode. And then share, share the love. If there's something that you've heard in this episode that you would love to turn into a conversation, share it with people and have that conversation. Because when ideas become conversations that lead to action, that's when real change takes hold. See you next time.